0: Welcome to Asia Rising, the podcast from La Trobe, Asia, where we discuss news, views and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. The political landscape of Indonesia has had a shake-up with the resurrection of the long-defunct Masyumi Party. The once-powerful party invokes a time when Islamists were more united in Indonesia and signals a desire for greater coordination. Here to discuss the background to these trends and the implications for Indonesia is Dr. Dirk Thompson, Associate Professor of Politics at La Trobe University. Thank you for joining me, Dirk. Yeah, thanks for having me. So if we could start with a bit of background. There were mass Islamist protests in 2016, to the extent where it made the headlines down here a bit for those who are paying attention, but the momentum appears to have slowed. So how widespread is the support for the Islamist agenda in Indonesia? Yes, the protests in
1: 2016 brought that issue to worldwide attention because they were um, unprecedented uh, in their scope, um, in their intensity. And they were also interesting in the way they targeted a particular politician. This was in the context of the election for the Jakarta governor, which was uh, scheduled for 2017. And the incumbent was an ethnic Chinese Christian. Basuki Chahaya Purnama, better known as Ahok, a rather controversial figure and a thorn in the side for Islamists for a long time. And Islamists were mobilizing against his re election after he was alleged to have insulted the Quran at an election event. Mm. And yeah, in the protests back then, uh, hundreds of thousands of people gathered in Jakarta to protest against his uh, election. There he was accused of blasphemy, and eventually he not only lost the election, but was also jailed for that alleged offense of blasphemy in that campaign speech for two years. At that time, Islamism was really uh, forced to be reckoned with, because Ahok was also seen as an ally of President Jokowi, so it had implications for national politics, and the central government got really spooked by this mobilization, and since then polarization between supporters of this Islamist agenda and the more moderate forces or pluralist forces has intensified. If you ask me how widespread the support for the Islamist agenda is, we've got some public opinion data on this, but this needs to be treated with some caution because what exactly defines the Islamist agenda is contested in itself. So perhaps uh, one interesting research that was done on public opinion data from 2019 conducted by Markus Mietzner from the Australian National University and Burhanuddin Muhtadi, a pollster from Indonesia, from Jakarta, and also an alumni of the ANU. And they together established a kind of index for religious intolerance. So based on that public opinion data, a total of 47% of Muslim respondents of Indonesian Muslims held intolerant or very intolerant views towards non Muslims holding political office or building places of worship in neighborhoods with majority Muslim residents. So they use this kind of data to establish to what extent Muslims are objecting to non Muslims participating in politics and social cultural life on the basis of equal citizenship, basically. Mm. That's a sizable chunk. That is a sizable chunk indeed. Mm. And they argue that the mobilization from 2016 and 2017 cemented these kind of attitudes. There is um, public opinion data from previous years that showed that even though there is a sizable chunk of Indonesians who hold this kind of intolerant views, it had actually been going down in the 2010s. But... After 2016, 2017, it increased again a bit, so that the mobilization actually had an had an impact on getting more or hardening the views of more and more people. Mm. They still distinguish between tolerant and very intolerant. So, at the very intolerant spectrum, where you would probably put the Islamist agenda, that's a bit smaller, obviously, but still they say about thirty percent um, are very intolerant. Seventeen tolerant so it is a Salzburg chunk and you could say that roughly this is the constituency for islamism Mm
0: -hmm. and that's 2019 data as well so a good like 18 months ago plus a lot can change in that short amount of time especially with these kind of views
1: yeah they wrote about this as well whether 2016 was just a, a game changer for the long term or whether this was just an event that stood out in terms of mobilizing and in also in terms of hardening people's views, but that this would dissipate over time again. The jury is still out on that, but um, there have been other public opinion polls more recently uh, which showed uh, different kinds of questions, but which did show um, that at least some of the views seem to be softening again a little bit. Mm. I did some survey research on this last year myself. I didn't ask the same kinds of questions that Mitzan mutari asked, but... Those were questions about trust, about willingness to live with people of other religions, for example. There have been some surveys done on similar questions in the past. So, For example, Eve Warburton from Singapore has a book chapter last year where she asked the same kind of question, for example, whether people prefer to live in a neighborhood where most people share their religion. Um, So based on her data... Um, which I think was from 2019, about 80% of Indonesians prefer to live in a neighborhood where people share their same religion. I asked the same kind of question late last year, so about a year later, and the figure had dropped to about 70%, which is still high, of course, but it is a drop of 10%. And um, therefore, it's a bit still early to say, perhaps, whether this kind of um, polarized sentiment or this high levels of intolerance are just a snapshot that is going down again now, or whether it will last a bit longer?
0: Yeah, the 2016 events—did they change the direction of anything that was happening on, like, a, a governmental level to either encourage or discourage these feelings? I'm just wondering—you know—if they became uh, softer in their approach to Islamist society or thought okay. as a result of those events. Yeah, the government
1: um, ran a sort of two-pronged strategy in response to what happened in 2016 and 17. On the one hand, they tried to embrace more moderate Muslims, more moderate organizations, in Mm. particular the Natla Tululama, which is the largest Islamic organization in Indonesia. They have a history of... um, being close to government in the past and um, they have a very sizable constituency which the government was interested in. The government approached the NU leadership um, gave them patronage resources. President Jacoby in 2019 um, ran with an NU figure as his vice-presidential candidate in order to get him on side with the government and his organization. That is probably the trend that has been more in the headlines more recently. At the same time the government has run a fairly hardline campaign against the more radical end of the Islamist spectrum. Yeah, um, They have charged a lot of um, Islamist dissidents um, with various um, crimes. And yeah, that still continues until today.
0: So with that softening that's been happening a bit and also the crackdown on, and I don't want to generalize here, but like the 17%, for example, from that survey, Mm. has that prompted the resurrection of the Masyumi party, at least in name, and trying to call back to a time where the Islamists had a bit more clout politically?
1: Yeah, the two things are, in a sense, they are related because the crackdown has had the effect that the Islamist movement, Um, has sort of fragmented a bit Mm. Um, it lost its main figurehead in recent years which is the leader of the Islamic Defenders Front, Habib Rizik Um, he was charged with um, pornography offences and fled into exile in Saudi Arabia um, after the mobilisation in 2016 2017 Has any come back recently? That's correct, I was about to say that Sorry, (laughs) I know that name (laughs) Yeah, so when he left and then the Islamic Defenders Front was just one organization involved in the protests in 2016, 2017. But they were perhaps the most prominent one. And when Habib Rizik was taken out of the equation, that contributed um, to the sort of loss of momentum and fragmentation. Mm. That crackdown that the government then you know, started and um, continued basically until today further weakened the movement a bit. And yes, some Islamists then probably thought, oh, if we can create new organizations, perhaps we can create a new kind of momentum. So Masumi is a name that immediately attracted some media attention. But apart from the name, I wouldn't say that the people behind this particular move um, will be the ones who will unite the Islamists again.
0: Okay, okay. And how popular was the party at its peak? How successful was it? Yeah,
1: Masjumi was a political party in the 1950s, immediately after independence. It was initially a mass organization and then turned itself into a political party Hmm. during a time when Indonesia experimented with democracy Um, after independence. They were quite popular. They achieved about 20% of the vote in the only election in the 1950s. Then in 1957, then President Sukarno, the first president of Indonesia, abolished that democratic experiment, he established an authoritarian regime. And in the course of that, the Mashumi party was banned. Some of its leaders were involved in a rebellion against Sukarno. So he took that as a pretext to ban Mashumi. So Mashumi was short-lived, but because of its success in the 1955 election, it still held in very high esteem by Islamists because it represented that sort of modernist radical element within Islam and mm. was able to unite it fairly well.
0: Yeah, and it, if it goes out on a high note like that, <laughs> a, an extremist or somebody who's got very traditional views can point to it and say, Hey, look, you know, they're scared of us. Mm. But that restarted in October last year, 2020, we're talking. Mm-hmm. And since then, in addition to the Masyumi party, there has been other Islamist organizations starting. So it's a very fragmented playing field at the moment, which isn't something that they had back in the 1950s. There was more unity, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was fragmented back then as well, but Mashimi was able to sort of find a common denominator behind which most of the groups back then could unite. This seems very unlikely at the moment. Um, As you say, there have been other organizations newly formed. There are already many other organizations out there. Mm. So often they are founded by people who used to have influence in certain segments of the Islamist movement and um, are in need or would like to have new vehicles to become a bit more prominent, organizational vehicles. But one of the other organizations that was recently established is a, is a political party called the Partai Uma, which was formed by Amin Rice. And for those following Indonesian politics, Amin Rice is a familiar name. He used to be the leader of Indonesia's second largest mass organization, the Muhammadiyah. He was a chairman of a political party, the National Mandate Party. So he's been a player for a very long time. And his influence has been fading in recent years as other um, leaders have taken over, have established new organizations. Mm. Um, I think this was sort of an attempt to remain relevant, but I doubt that it will make a dent.
0: Okay, so... During the recent presidential election, when Subianto was running for office against Jokowi, he attempted to rally the Islamist cause behind him, but now, and I kind of want to know how surprised you were about this, he has joined Jokowi's cabinet, (laughs) essentially. He's the defense minister now, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Uh, Which I'm sure took a lot of people by surprise. So what does that do to the cause? Was he kind of genuine, or was it always just about trying to find a base?
1: Yeah, it, it was uh, the latter mostly. Um, Prabowo Subianto had a history before of working with Islamists. Um, there, as we said before, there is a sizable constituency there. Mm. Islamists regard Jokowi, current president, as you know, some at the fringe regard him as an enemy of Islam, as a as an infidel, as someone who you know is directly opposed to the goals of Islamists. With only two candidates in the race in that presidential election, Prabowo basically knew that this was his main constituency. Yeah. And so he had backed the protests in 2016 and 17. So again, even most recently, there's been a bit of history. So it was no surprise that he tried to use the Islamist vote, mobilise the Islamist vote for his own presidential ambitions, But, yeah, his sincerity became obvious after the election. Mm. And if you ask me how surprised I was that he then joined the cabinet, well, if you looked at the intensity of the campaign before the election and the the kind of sentiment that Prabovo himself tried to mobilize, you could say that it, it seems inconceivable that he could then join the cabinet. However, at the same time, there's also a long history in Indonesian politics where opposition figures have joined governments after losing an election. Mm. And it therefore was probably not as outrageous as it may seem at Mm. first, given that Prabowo is a strategic player. He has probably his eyes already on the next election when Jokowi is not allowed to run again. Maybe being inside government, at least in his calculation, gives him a better head start for the next campaign.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Well, that that is a completely different podcast, I guess. But yeah, it um, it caught me by surprise. I must admit. <laughs> in the absence of him, even though he wasn't extremely influential for the Islamists as a, as a figurehead, who are they rallying behind now?
1: Habib Rizik, he would be one obvious figure, but he is not presidential material because he is very controversial there's also some survey data most recently actually from i think late last year or this year after he came back some public opinion service asked about his levels of popularity and while he is widely known amongst indonesians he does not get into this kind of popularity figures mm. um, that that would propel him into a presidential contender i think the figures were somewhere in the 30s or so in terms of um, popularity. So he would, on that basis alone, probably not be a figure, but he also has the additional problem that the police has gone after him straight after his return. He is currently or will be put on trial very shortly. He was just um, recently was arrested for violating public health legislation in the context of COVID-19 because he hosted a mass um, wedding function.
0: Yeah, right.
1: So it's quite likely that the government will try to keep him out of the equation, not necessarily as a presidential contender, but as someone who can mobilize masses behind someone else. Mm. At the moment, the person most frequently cited there is the current Jakarta governor, Anis Baswedan, mm. yeah, yeah. who was the beneficiary of the protests back in 2016 and 17 against Ahok. He won that election then has been in office now in Jakarta since then, and he has met with Habib Rizik after he returned from Saudi Arabia. Mm. So at least some Islamists pin their hopes on him. Whether the political map will still look like this at the time the next election will be held in 2024, we don't know yet. Uh, but if Islamism then is still the kind of political force that it is now, it's quite conceivable that Anis Zweedan will try to rally those forces.
0: Mm. The the extra challenge to it all though is being certified to be able to run in the election, which none of the organizations currently are, is that correct?
1: Yeah, and they they wouldn't need that for the presidential election. Yeah. Um, they, as we saw in the protest against AHOK, um, they mobilise outside party politics. Like what I said before, Rice's attempt to establish a new party I think has very, very limited chances for success. As you say, the the, the requirements to formally register a party and um, let it be permitted to run in an election are very tight in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. It's very unlikely that these new parties will fulfill these requirements. So the mobilization of Islamism will take place outside these political parties. Whether these new organizations will then still play a role, we don't know. Too early to tell.
0: All right, we might leave it there. Thanks for your time today, Dirk. Yeah, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Asia Rising, the podcast from Latrobe Asia. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may cast your pod. Please leave a review, they are always very appreciated. You can follow Latrobe Asia on Twitter. We are at Latrobe Asia. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.